0: Day 38 of Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanhoye. Welcome to the Hard Dive Podcast. Today, we are in Exodus chapters 25 through 27, where God is going to give directives on how to build the tabernacle and all of the articles that are going to be within it. And of course, these things are holy items, and the Bible actually says that these will be copies of the things that are already in heaven. And keep your eyes peeled because there's lots of symbolism that you can actually draw from the construction of the tabernacle and all of these articles. And we are reading from the ESV by Crossway translation today, if you're interested in knowing which Bible I have, you can take a look at my link below, or you can go to heartdive.org/recommendations, where I have all of the stuff that I love to use, all of my favorite resources. Otherwise, let's go ahead and pray and get into the word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day, for this hump day, Wednesday, for those who are in real time with us. We just thank you, Lord, that you are with us in the middle of this week, but you were also with us in the beginning, at the end, as it is with our lives. We're so grateful that we have you in your presence to be able to dwell within us, God, and that we don't have to do anything. We are just covered by your grace. Thank you for that mercy in allowing us to come into your presence, to draw near to you. And in doing so, we know that you will draw near to us. And so I pray that you will open up our eyes, ears, and hearts today to hear from you, to understand this reading a little bit better, whereas maybe in the past we've read it and just thought to ourselves, I can't even comprehend what this even means. But I pray that we will see the revelation that you intended for us to be able to have in this modern day. This word still matters today. So we thank you for it, Lord. We treat it as holy, and we know, Lord God, that we are here on this very day to read this specific word. And so I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you will do a work within us and that you will touch every single life that is here in this Bible study today. Forgive us of our sins. Help us to forgive others. And please don't lead us into the path of temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, we love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Starting off here in chapter 25, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. So notice that God is asking for the offering before he's even providing what the need is. And the reason why he does this is so that people will give in faith and just fully trusting that this offering will be stewarded and used properly. It is something that God is requesting and he is not manipulating anybody. He is not holding anybody to obligation. He simply wants those who feel compelled to give to do so out of a cheerful and joyful heart because we know that he loves a cheerful giver. And the thing is, is whenever we give, whenever we have that generous heart, we actually become more like the ultimate giver. We become more like God. And it really just does something within our spirits. I know it does for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and the breastpiece, and let them make me a sanctuary, or in other words, a holy place, which will represent God's true dwelling, which is in heaven, that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. Now, where are they getting all of these items? It was likely all of the items that they were able to plunder from the Egyptians. Remember, before they left, God said, just ask them for stuff, and they're going to give it to you, and sure enough, they did. Now, let's take a look at the meaning behind these colors here, because we will see it replicated throughout these next couple of chapters. The color blue actually came from shellfish, purple came from a myrick snail, and scarlet came from the dried eggs and the bodies of the scarlet worm. Now, what is interesting about this scarlet worm, I told this story last year in Psalm 22, whenever the psalmist said, I am a worm, not a man. And this was prophetically speaking about Jesus. Now, this word was tolaath or tola, which means scarlet or worm. Now, the crimson worm, the worm that was used for this special dye, during a time of reproduction, what it would do is it would fasten itself. To a leaf, and as it is giving birth, it actually begins to die. And whenever it dies, it secretes this red dye. It leaves a red mark on the tree, and and a few days later, and actually, the New International Bible Encyclopedia said three days later in particular, that red mark or that body that is left actually turns to like a snow-like substance, and then flakes off the tree, leaving a white mark. And if we look at the scripture that says, "Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow," you can't. Can't help but think this must have been part of God's plan in creating that crimson worm, especially whenever it speaks about the worm and the blood in the same manner. And I always just think that is so fascinating. So let's go back to the colors though. White actually speaks of purity or the humanity of Jesus. And we can liken these four colors to the four gospels. So, it is in Luke where we see the humanity of Jesus. Blue speaks of deity or the deity of Jesus in heaven as spoken of in John. Purple is the color of royalty, which we know he is the king of the Jews in Matthew. And then in Mark, we see him as the suffering servant, which the color scarlet is representing blood. So, God's very intricate details. Everything has meaning. And there are some things that are very speculative. And, you know, you can really dig into this all kinds of ways. And there are a couple of things that made sense to me. So, I wrote them down. But just know that, again, this symbolism is speculative, in my opinion. And so, this sanctuary is going to be a place where the people can come and worship Him, offering their sacrifices and offerings. And He is saying that He is going to dwell there in their midst. So, His Shekinah glory is going to be in this holy of holies, this most holy place. So, this really speaks to the transcendence of God. So, now we move on to the Ark of the Covenant, which is probably the most important symbol of the entire tabernacle, because this will be the place where God's presence or his Shekinah glory dwells. This is where it will be encased. In a sense, verse 10 they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Why acacia wood? Well, acacia wood was actually highly durable, resistant to disease and insects and bugs. And also the acacia tree, of course, growing in desert or arid areas, could possibly be symbolic of Jesus because the Bible actually says in Isaiah 53 that Jesus is a root out of dry ground. And there is something, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, called acacia resin or acacia gum, and they actually use that. It has a lot of healing and medicinal properties in it. And so, kind of in the same way that when you pierce the side of Jesus, out poured the blood and the water, which was symbolic of that healing and that vitality. And also, this is a thorn-bearing tree, representing the crown of thorns. Later on, he will have a crown of gold, and we see here that the Ark of the Covenant is actually overlaid in gold as well. So, two cubits and a half shall be its length. Now, a cubit would have been the length of a person's middle finger to their elbow. And so, this was typically about 18 inches is how we look at it now. So, that's its length, a cubit and a half of its breadth and a cubit and a half its height. So, this would be about four feet by two and a quarter by two and a quarter. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Again, gold speaking of the deity of God. Inside and outside shall you overlay it and you shall make on it a molding of gold around it and you shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet, two rings on the one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. Now, these rings will be the things that are going to hold the poles because the Ark of the Covenant cannot be carried by human hands. It needs to be carried by the poles only you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark, and they shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony, aka the Ten Commandments, that I shall give you. And that just reminded me that I actually printed out this super cute little picture of the Ten Commandments. It's like these two little tablets, and I just glued it into my Bible. (laughs) I love doing that. Obviously, I did that here. I took pictures of a diagram that was in my New King James Version Study Bible, and then I just found this image that is a replica, actually, of the tabernacle in the Holy Land, which I thought was really cool. And so, that just kind of helped me to envision these things a little bit more. Verse 17, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. So, this mercy seat is actually going to be the lid or the covering of the Ark itself, and it is translated to place of propitiation. So, this would be the place where sin is atoned for. So, the Ark of the Covenant is going to be behind the veil in the most holy place, and the only person who would be able to access this most holy place would be the High Priest on the Day of Atonement only once a year, and it would symbolize having that peace with God once again. Very much so symbolic to, the cross today because, of course, that is the place of atonement for us. That was the place where our sins were paid for by the blood of Jesus. It has also been called the footstool of God. So, it would be a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Now, some people would ask, wait a minute, wouldn't this be going against that verse that said, we shall not form anything into the likeness of anything on earth or in heaven? No, because no one will be worshiping these cherubim. There's a difference there. So it's not idolatry. Make one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end. Now, cherub are God's messenger spirits, a.k.a angels, I guess, would be one way to look at it. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces to one another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be, and you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So again, what grace. I mean, God is saying he will meet his people at the mercy seat, that which covers the Ark where the commandments are. And this is symbolic of the cross where the blood of Jesus covers our inability to uphold the law. Because of what he did, we can now come boldly into the throne room of grace where we will find that mercy and grace in our time of need. Yet many of us think that to meet with God, we first must clean up our act or we gotta read our three chapters or cite the Lord's prayer or be able to memorize scripture and then pass a theological exam. But God doesn't ask that of us because Jesus fulfilled all that for us. And when we simply come before Him with humility and a desire to know Him, His word says that He will draw near to us because we are covered by the grace that was poured out on the mercy seat. He paid the price. He made the atonement. And so, He is our mercy seat. So, heart check. Are you trying to get into the throne room by your devotional life, or do you rest simply in the covering of the mercy seat? Now we're moving on to the table for bread. You shall make a table of acacia wood, two cubits, Shall be its length, a cubit, its breadth, and a cubit, half its height. So this would be three feet by 18 inches by about 27 inches. And of course, with bread being symbolic of the bread of life or Jesus or fellowship and communion, that is indeed how we have that union with Christ. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it, and you shall make a rim around its handbreadth wide and a molding of gold around the rim, and you shall make for it four rings of gold and fasten the rings to the four corners at its four legs. Close to the frame, the rings shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. So all of these things are really to be very mobile, and that's why God instructs them to put poles within them so they can easily be moved. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and the table shall be carried with these. And you shall make its plates and dishes for incense and its flagons and bowls with which to pour drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold and you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. Now we will read more about this in Leviticus, but this would have been 12 rounds of what is known as show bread. And it would represent the 12 tribes of Israel would have been put into two rows of six. And it's also known as the bread of faces as it is set before the face of God. And now we see the golden lampstand, otherwise known as the menorah. You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. And there shall be six branches going out of its sides three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side of it. Three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on one branch and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and a flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand and on the lampstand itself, there shall be four cups made like almond blossoms with their calyxes and flowers and a calyx, one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going, out from the lampstand. So in other words, you're going to have one main stem and then three branches on either side. And of course, this makes us think of, I am the vine, you are the branches, anyone who abides in me and I in him will obtain eternal life. Now, what's interesting about almond trees is that the almond tree is the first tree to bloom in season in israel which speaks to us about the first fruits and of course the blossoms are white which is symbolic of purity and so when we look at jesus as the first fruit he was indeed the first to rise to his heavenly body in glory never to die again so that is why he is known as the first fruit Verse 36, their calyxes and their branches shall be of one piece with it, the whole of it, a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. So this would have taken quite a bit of craftsmanship to be able to use pure gold and to create such a beautiful article. You shall make seven lamps for it, and the lamps shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. Its tongs and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made with all these utensils out of a talent of pure gold. And see that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown you on the mountain. So this will be the only source of light for the tabernacle. So in the end, the construction of the tabernacle was Rather simple I think on the exterior but it is the inside where most of that value lies. You see the articles of worship would have been valued in the millions of dollars today. And such is the way with God. I mean he is more concerned with the interior of our lives than the exterior. It doesn't mean that we don't steward the exterior. I mean we still need to take care of our health and our bodies. And as we will see later everything he builds is always constructed with intention and order and it is intended to be maintained. But the interior is where true worship happens. So, heart check, where do you place the most value? On your external appearance or your internal character? Chapter 26, The Building of the Tabernacle. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. You shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits and the breadth of each curtain, four cubits. So it'll be 42 feet by six feet, huge. (laughs) All the curtains shall be the same size. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. So we have two sets of curtains here. And you shall make loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain in the first set. Likewise, you shall make loops on the edge of the outermost curtain in the second set. 50 loops and this... Number 50 here apparently is the number of salvation. You shall make on the one curtain and 50 loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is in the second set. The loops shall be opposite one another and you shall make 50 clasps of gold and couple the curtains one to the other with the clasps so that the tabernacle may be a single hole. You shall also make curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. Eleven curtains you shall make. So, goat's hair would have been the most valuable type of hair. It was rich and it was black. And it's interesting that that is the layer on the outside that will be seen. It's all of the beautiful, intricately woven curtains that are going to be covered by that blackness. And I guess you could say that is symbolic of the way that Jesus took on our sin, the blackness or the darkness of sin, while the inside was completely blameless and beautiful. The length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits, and the breadth of each curtain, 4 cubits. The 11 curtains shall be the same size. You shall couple 5 curtains by themselves, which 5 is the number of grace, and six curtains by themselves. So the sixth curtain you shall double over at the front of the tent. You shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in one set, and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in the second set. You shall make 50 clasps of bronze, and bronze is the metal for judgment, and put the clasps into the loop and couple the tent together that it may be a single hole. And the part that remains of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remains, shall hang over the back of the tabernacle. Now this makes a lot more sense when you actually see a picture of how this was pieced together, but you have these two sets of curtains that actually made one whole tent. And the extra that remains in the length of the curtains, the cubit on the one side and the cubit on the other side shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and on that side to cover it. And you shall make for the tent a covering of tanned ramskins and a covering of goat skins on top. Verse 15, you shall make upright frames for the tabernacle of acacia wood. So there is a dispute whether or not these were open frames to allow the people to be able to see the curtains that were draped over them, or if they were actually solid walls. Two schools of thinking there. I was going with the open frames because I'm like, why would the Lord have them cover all of those beautifully woven curtains, especially when they had cherubim on them? Ten cubits shall be the length of a frame and a cubit and a half of breadth of each frame. There shall be two Tenons in each frame for fitting together. So shall you do for all the frames of the tabernacle. You shall make the frames for the tabernacle, 20 frames for the south side, 40 bases of silver, and you shall make under the 20 frames two bases under one frame for its two tenons, and two bases under the next frame for its two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle on the north side, 20 frames, and on the 40 bases of silver, two bases under one frame, two bases under the next frame. And for the rear of the tabernacle, westward, you shall make six frames, and you shall make two feet frames for corners of the tabernacle in the rear, and they shall be separate beneath, but joined at the top at the first ring. Shall it be with both of them? They shall form the two corners, and there shall be eight frames with their bases of silver. So, silver is the Medal of Redemption, 16 bases, two bases under one frame and two bases under another frame. So essentially, this is the bones of the tabernacle right here. And when we look at the silver bases, what these would do would actually keep the tabernacle off of the ground. So when we look at the symbolism of silver being redemption, well, it was also what Jesus did. For us, through the redemption, we also were able to be set off of the ground. We were separated from the world, and that's what these silver bases are doing for the tabernacle as well, separating it from the dirt. So these things are so intricately linked together, and they had this stability and strength but it was also easy to construct. I mean, it was kind of like big Legos, I guess you could say. You shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the frames of the one side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frames of the other side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frames of the side of the tabernacle at the rear westward. The middle bar halfway up the frame shall... Run from end to end. You shall overlay the frames with gold. So he is adding beauty and strength to this and shall make their rings of gold for holders for the bars and you shall overlay the bars with gold. Then you shall erect the tabernacle according to the plan for it that you were shown on the mountain. So all of this constructing of the tabernacle here with these five frames or the five bars, and you could look at that as the five pillars of the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And one side of the tabernacle was actually left open. So you had a structure on the west, the south, and the north side of the tabernacle, but the east was open, which is symbolic of where Jesus will come back to the earth from the east. And you shall make a veil, Of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. And you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold on four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps, and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. You shall put the mercy seat on the Ark of the Testimony in the Most Holy Place. So, this would be the only thing in that Most Holy Place would be the Ark of the Testimony. And you shall set the table outside the veil, and the lampstand on the south side of the tabernacle, opposite the table, and you shall put the table on the north side. Now, this veil here is a barrier between where there was general priestly worship in the holy place and where only the high priest could enter once a year again to atone for the sins of the people, which is the most holy place. So, this symbolized the barrier that was between God and the people. And we will later read that when Jesus dies, this veil will actually be torn from the top to the bottom, signifying that barrier being broken once and for all. So, we can now enter into the most holy place because of the blood of Jesus atoning for our sins. Yet some people will never get beyond their own invisible veil that they erect themselves. These are veils of unworthiness or insecurity, even religiosity. It's anything that will keep you from having that true intimacy with Jesus. So, heart check. Is there a veil that is keeping you from fully entering the most holy place? Verse 36, you shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet yarns of fine twined linen embroidered with needlework. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia and overlay them with gold. Again, Five being the number of grace. Of course, we are saved by grace. Their hooks shall be of gold, and you shall cast five bases of bronze for them. Chapter 27, the bronze altar. Now, altar actually means literally killing place. So you shall make the altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits broad. The altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits. So this would have been a seven and a half foot square it would have been four and a half feet tall off the ground. And this would be the first thing that people see whenever they enter into the courtyard. That is where the altar of the sacrifice is. This was the place that everyone could come and offer their burnt offering. And you shall make horns for it on its four corners. These horns... Muller than likely, secured the sacrifice on the altar. But horns often speak of strength and power. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. You shall make pots for it to receive its ashes, and shovels, and basins, and forks, and fire pans. You shall make all the utensils of bronze. You shall also make for it a grating, a network of bronze, and on the net you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners, and you shall set it under the ledge of the altar so that the net extends half. Down the altar, and you shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. And the poles shall be put through the ring, so that the poles are on the two sides of the altar when it is carried. You shall make it hollow with boards, as it has been shown you on the mountain, so shall it be made. So you can almost look at this as a big barbecue grill. Verse 9 You shall make the court of the tabernacle. On the south side, the court shall have hangings of fine twined linen, a hundred cubits long for one side. It's 20 pillars and their 20 bases shall be of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. And likewise, for its length on the north side, there shall be hangings a 100 cubits long. It's pillars 20 and their bases 20 of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. And for the breadth of the court on the west side, there shall be hangings for 50 cubits with 10 pillars and 10 bases." The breadth of the court on the front to the east shall be 50 cubits. The hangings for the one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits with their three pillars and three bases. On the other side, the hangings shall be 15 cubits with their three pillars and three bases. For the gate of the court, there shall be a screen 20 cubits long of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen embroidered with needlework. It shall have four pillars and with them four bases and the pillars around the court shall be filleted with silver. Their hooks shall be of silver and their bases of bronze. The length of the court shall be a 100 cubits, the breadth of 50, and the height of five cubits, with hangings of fine twined linen and bases of bronze. All the utensils of the tabernacle for every use and all its pegs and all the pegs of the court shall be of bronze. Now, all of these utensils were only to be used in the tabernacle, so you could not use any common tools for for the holy place or the holy tasks. So the whole purpose of the court of the tabernacle is to separate this general place of worship or this common area from the holy place of worship. So this would keep out wild animals, it would also keep out probably drunken men coming home from the bar at night to protect against an unlawful approach into the holy place. So, no accidental stumbling into it. And also, it would have been a line of demarcation between the world and God's presence, and it is also a way to approach God through this single gate now in verse 20, you shall command the people of Israel that they will bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light. Why olive oil? Well, it's because that has a really high smoke point. So this is showing God's standard for worship that a lamp may regularly be set up to burn in the tent of the meeting outside the veil that is before the testimony. Aaron and his son shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout the generations by the people of Israel. So, these lamps were tended to both day and night, meaning the fire never went out, and the priests would have to keep a continual supply of oil, and they would also have to trim the wicks in order to keep it burning. So, to me, this symbolizes the constant need for the Holy Spirit in order to keep our fire burning. There's no amount of religious doing that will be able to ignite that. It is only by His Spirit that we are empowered to do as well. But then there's also maintenance required in the trimming of our wicks so how does that relate to us i mean i know that every time i come to the word to read there is some sort of cutting away of something in my spirit or the cutting away of the flesh because the word will divide the soul and spirit and judge the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts so heart check is your fire burning today do you need to top off your oil or do you need to do a maintenance checkup? So, in the end, God has such beautiful intricacies that were so specific, and it was necessary for them to precisely observe what these things were and also make sure they followed the instructions to a T. And seeing this kind of meticulousness and creativity makes me have an even greater appreciation for God's desire for both beauty and design. So, let's take a look at some of our deep dive questions. What does the voluntary offering reveal about God's heart? What does God's specific instructions reveal about His character? How do we fall in line with this desire for excellence? How can we relate to the concept of a tabernacle to our lives today? And what does the courtyard display about the holiness of God? So, Heavenly Father, I pray that we understand the depth and the magnitude of Your holiness today— We stand in awe of the meticulous nature of your craftsmanship, knowing that you never do anything haphazardly, but always by design, with patterns and order. And so I pray that we will be a people who follow your instructions to the T, so that we can honor you in the building of our own tabernacle. Your Holy Spirit dwells within us, so we want to make it cozy. We want it to be an inviting space for you, where it will bring you joy to dwell within us. I pray that we will follow you with sincerity and excellence in everything we do. Thank you, Lord, for showing us how incredibly important your most holy place is. And yet you loved us enough to remove that separation between it and us. When we enter in, I pray that we do so with reverence and honor and worship. And thank you, Jesus, for being our mercy seat where we can come boldly into the throne room of grace, We are in desperate need of your mercy every single day, so being able to draw near is so necessary for our everyday living. And help us, Lord, to recognize the beautiful gifts that you have given to us to be used for your glory. I pray that we never try to exploit them in any way for our own selfish gain and that we keep them submitted before you. We know that we need your Holy Spirit to empower us for service, and so I pray that we will be aware of your presence day and night. And I pray that through our love for your word, you will trim our spirits and souls as needed. You know exactly what needs to be dealt with, and so have your way, Lord. May our fires always burn for you. We love you so much and honor you in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death and every single one of us have fallen short. And then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because he loves us and he wants to spend eternity with us but it won't happen if we don't receive him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing, and there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I wanna be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm gonna end up after I die, but I don't wanna live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're gonna say a prayer and I'm gonna put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that He died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're gonna say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus.